Welcome back to Talking Risks. This is episode number two. Uh, today we've got our first guest. Her name is Jill Reese. We'll get to her in just a second. I'm your co-host, Eric Reese. I own a law firm called Aspen Legal. My co-host is Ricky Hall. Ricky? Good afternoon. Um, I own Nutrition HQ and Nutrition HQ Franchising. So uh, Ricky is... Uh, a long-time uh, supplement entrepreneur, uh, he decided he's tired of buying somebody else's franchise, and he created his own. Uh, Ricky and I have known each other for probably decades. I can't remember exactly. Ricky's got a better memory than me uh, on it, but um, I'm very excited about his journey. Uh, talking risks is taking risks with an L because we're just talking and Talking Risks is for entrepreneurs, for future entrepreneurs, and for the vendors who serve them. Every week, we're going to have an entrepreneur on who's going to discuss his or her challenges and losses and victories and strategies. And what we hope to achieve by Talking Risks is to uh, not only share and educate entrepreneurs and future entrepreneurs as to strategies, etc., but inspire them, uh, get people to take a risk and get out there and develop their own business and establish their own legacies because that's what uh, this is about. Uh, my uh, URL is www.aspenlawteam.com. Uh, I encourage you to check it out. Uh, Ricky, your URL? www.nhq.rocks, nhq.rocks. All right, so what we're going to learn about today, Jill um, <clears throat> is not only an entrepreneur, but she also happens to be my wife. Now, you're rolling your eyes. You're going to go, oh, my God. So these guys are just going to have uh, friends and family on. Well, for the most part, we are going to have friends and family on because we know so many people uh, but Jill is not only my wife, she's an entrepreneur and of her own uh, accord, she has invested in, sold, and manages millions of dollars of VRBOs and Airbnbs at the Lake of the Ozarks. If you're not familiar with the Lake of the Ozarks, it is a lake in the middle of Missouri with more coastline than the state of California. If you don't believe me, look it up, 1,854 miles of coastline. It's also the subject of a Netflix series called Ozark. If you love Jason Bateman the way I do, you're going to love that show. I encourage you to take a look. Uh, and the Lake of the Ozarks, as you're going to find from Jill, has absolutely exploded in part due to COVID. Jill is an expert at investing in, determining what to invest in, pricing, managing and operating VRBOs and Airbnbs. And not only is she going to share her strategies with respect to that business, but she's also going to tell us some of the crazy stories from the Lake of the Ozarks. Uh, and uh, some of those things will, will actually blow your mind. But before we get to Jill, uh, we're going to talk about a couple of things, Ricky, that you and I talked about uh, this week. One was uh, college tuition and how high it's gotten and how that might affect entrepreneurship. Um, Jill and I have, uh, have paid college tuitions. Thank goodness our third daughter is a brain bucket, and she has 
uh, more scholarships than you can shake a dead cat at. But college cost has gotten completely out of control. And um, I read over the course of this week about why college costs have gotten out of control. And of course, in today's world, it all depends upon the source, right? It all depends upon the media that you're reading. The New York Times says the reason why college tuition is so high is because they've lost too much state sponsorship. Of course, the New York Times is going to say that. I believe that college tuition has gotten out of control because, A, they don't know how to manage this business, and B, the government years ago when I went to college in the 1980s was providing loans out the wazoo. If Ricky owns a widget factory and somebody wants to buy a widget and the government's willing to finance that widget at $100,000 a widget, Ricky would be stupid not to charge $100,000 per widget. And what's worse is these colleges have now been so mismanaged from a business perspective that the cost of delivery of a college education uh, really matches the revenue that they're used to achieving, meaning there's no pivot. There's no pivot for these colleges. Ricky, what are your thoughts? What scares me, and we had this conversation last Sunday, is you're you're putting so much debt on these kids at 18, and not only the debt that they're going to accumulate over the next four to five years, but these kids are 18 to 24, and studies show that most people don't have a clue what they want to do in life until after 25. Correct. So you're making a major decision in your life sure. for, to pay this out to tell me what you're to, to um, major in something that you may never, ever follow through with. Sure. Yeah. I've had many kids work for me that went to college, which is great. I mean, I my son, Tyler, went to college. He got a degree in finance. And he, as everybody knows, he owns one of my stores. But, you know, like I told him, I was like, absolutely go. Because right. it's four years of experience of diversity and stuff like that. That you can't put a price tag on. But having somebody pick a major and then having $100,000 in debt after four years and then may not even follow through with the, that as their dream. Yeah, so a uh, couple of things. So you're going to find over the course of this that I am not, and Ricky's not a big fan of government. Government is all about uh, soliciting votes right now by saying we're going to forgive your student debt. Government created this mess. Uh, back, probably people who are going to college now have no idea uh, that this occurred. But when I was going to school and even in law school, I got out in the early 90s from law school, government was a big supporter of education by letting me uh, borrow hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I think Ricky is on to something. Once you borrow hundreds of thousands of dollars, um, your choices are limited when you get out. Um, you got to take the job that pays the most because you got to pay off all this debt. And debt limits choices. Um, obligations limit choices. When I started this law firm, not more than two weeks ago, folks, uh, as I talked about during the first episode, I was freaking out. I was up at 1 a.m. Uh, contemplating things one should never contemplate. I was scared. And the fact of the matter was I was scared because I have to take care of people. I need to make sure that my kids are safe, my kids are provided for, etc. We all have obligations, mortgages, uh, car loans, uh, trying to retire one day, all of these things. Very scary stuff when you think that maybe you won't be able to 
uh, cover all of those expenses. Now think about it. These kids are getting out at 21. They owe $200,000, $300,000 for their college education, and their choices are limited. And when your choices are limited, generally what happens is you get stuck in jobs, in careers that you really want, didn't want to be in uh, anyway, but you feel some safety there in getting paid that average salary so you can service your debt. And that's really unfortunate. It is. And, you know, think about it. You walk out with a $200,000 loan, you're paying on that the rest of your life more likely. Yeah, absolutely. That's scary. Yeah. And so now um, uh, I took a look at, at some of the reasons why people attend college. And again, I'm not battering college, nor do I intend to batter college, but I just don't think the value is there. And I think it negatively impacts entrepreneurship. So um, in taking a look, doing the research on this, uh, I took a look at something called College Board. College Board did a survey, both of educators, colleges, and college students, and they were looking for the four top uh, reasons why people would go to college, and they are to meet new people. That's number one, to meet new people. I don't know about you, Ricky, but um, the people that I met in college, I don't do business with, all right? Um, I did a lot of uh, drinks with them. I did other things with them, but uh, business, not so much. Well, you grow out uh, you grow out of your friends. So, like, the same friends that I had in the military, I don't have one connection with. Sure, that's right, you know? because it's a shared experience. Human relationships are based on a shared experience, and when the experience is over in this case, college, generally the relationship is over. And when people say, well, I've known this guy since or known this gal since uh, grade school, it's like, that's amazing because that's not human nature for sure. The number two reason is to get a good education. Um, And this is suspect too, in the sense that uh, the education that people generally get, as Ricky said, they don't know what the hell they want to do. Uh, They're 18 years old, sometimes 17 years old. And let me give you some more statistics. Millennials typically switch careers every four years. Okay, this isn't switch jobs. This is switch careers every four years. Um, And so uh, a couple of other statistics that I found uh, very interesting. 40% currently of the unemployed individuals in America Uh, are college educated. 40% of unemployed individuals are college educated. And 46%, look these statistics up, you don't need to believe me, 46% of individuals who are college educated are performing a job for which they didn't need a college education to begin with. So um, the statistics are eye-opening for sure. You combine that with the outrageous cost of education, and I'm thinking tech schools, I'm thinking uh, associate's degrees, and quite frankly, I'm thinking entrepreneurship, people who are in the best position to take a risk because they don't yet have $200,000 or more in debt, and they don't yet have a whole lot of responsibilities. And that's, you know, key is learning a trade, and you'll work the rest of your life. Like, you'll always have something to fall back on. But I look at my experience. Like, when I went in the Air Force at 18 years old, I was like, I'm going to do this for 20 years. Right. Well, six years into it, I'm like, I hate this. Yeah. Like, I've got to move. Mm-hmm. So then I 
you know, started pursuing fitness and nutrition and got a construction job. I was like, well, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life because I was making 100 grand a year. Yeah. And the guy that I work for goes, no, no. What's between your ears is so, will outwork your hands. Sure. And that's when I opened my eyes more and more about, you know, business. And then that's when I really started following into the nutrition and how I can make money doing that. But I'm not against the school systems, the education, it's the debt that they walk out with is what I think we're hammering away here. Is that's like, right. That's that's the scary part. It limits and, choices. And that's that's the government's fault. Yeah. And it always falls back on the government. And I'm a big, less government, more self-responsibility guy. Absolutely. What you guys uh, may not know either or think about is, you know, our girls were in school and it's all ACT, SAT. What are you going to get on those? And, you know, I think there may be, there should be some more talk about trade school, you know, that sort of thing. You know, that's not brought up much. And I've told both of our younger kids, like, you know, you don't have to go to college if you don't want to. If that's not your thing, then don't go. But so often high schools are focused on that SAT, ACT score and what you're going to get. And I don't think there's that much talk that, you know, there should be more talk about that. You know how to fix an HVAC system? You will never be out of work, exactly. ever. And you know what's never going away? HVAC system. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> plumber. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's a successful plumber in our neighborhood that does real well. I yeah. mean, And you name your price. Yeah, plumber. Andy's an entrepreneur. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, and that's exactly it, yeah. you know. And that's, you know, that's when Tyler went to school. You know, he didn't know what he wanted to major in. And I said, well, major in accounting. Because that way you always have something you can fall back on. And, like, I think 18 months into it, because, Dad, I hate accounting. But I love finance. I'm like, go with it then. Yeah. And, you know, now I run a lot of numbers past him. Now, maybe finance isn't what he's doing, but it kind of is. Right. Because it, sure. it ties in. And, and if you study entrepreneurship, um, entrepreneurship is in your DNA. It runs in your blood. And I look at Tyler, and I see it in him now, and it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then surrounding yourself with entrepreneurs is huge. Yeah. Plumber came over to our house and uh, fixed the uh, jammed up toilet and he gave me a bill. And uh, I looked at the bill and I said, holy shit. I said, uh, I can never make this much money as an attorney. And he looked at me and he said, neither could I. So here's the point. The point is, is that the more our children start focusing on life skills, right? Skills that can serve them for years to come. I think the more they're going to be better served uh, down the road and the more likely that we're going to uh, create a whole new class of entrepreneurs, which is what this show is about. The other thing that I wanted to talk about real quickly before we uh, get to Jill is, so I talked to a bank client of mine uh, over the week, over the course of the week, and I talked to a very large uh, frozen yogurt chain that I represent out of Los Angeles. Uh, And um, we talked about planning for the pivot. Um, And I don't think enough people are doing this, all right? I think we had a great economy uh, before we got to uh, COVID and the government reaction to COVID, the shutdowns that occurred, which I would argue is a gross overreaction to a, uh, a problem that had a 2% maybe mortality rate. But nine, nonetheless, we can argue that all day long. The fact of the matter is, is that not enough businesses are planning for the pivot. And the pivot is 
preparing for yourself for an economic uh, downturn. This has nothing to do with Joe Biden. This has nothing to do with Kamala Harris. This has to do with history. If you look at history, the economy cycles, and the economy hasn't cycled for a long time. And I think whether we're going to see 08 or whether we're going to see something much worse coming up, the economy is about to cycle. None of us know when it is. All of us who are thinking individuals wake up on a Tuesday, we see the market was down on Monday, and somewhere in our head we're going, oh shit, this is it, right? Now it's now it's time to tank, right? Now it's time to shift. Not enough businesses are thinking about how to pivot, how to prepare themselves for uh, a down economy or a changed economy. Guys, we shut down the world economy for one year due to this uh, illness, due to COVID. And we're printing money like drunken sailors. I have clients uh, out the wazoo who have uh, received a million dollars, two million dollars or more in PPP loans. And And again, I've encouraged them to do that. You'd be stupid not to take these PPP loans. Of course, you got to grab the money. But we can't keep printing money like drunken sailors and we can't shut down the economy for a year without some repercussions. It's, you're going to see a tsunami effect, in my opinion. You know, the earthquake has happened and now the tsunami's building and you better be prepared for it. Right. And so here's the thing. If you prepare a disaster plan, or I'll call it a pivot plan, and it never happens, the economy never turns down, you're not going to hurt yourself because the worst that you're going to do is you're going to examine your current business. It's a SWOT analysis, right? You're going to examine your current business and you're going to figure out how to diversify more and how to prepare yourself for a down economy. Everything that I'm telling you to do to prepare for the pivot is not going to hurt your business if you never have to pivot. Yeah, and you know, it's forward thinking is what I like to call it because it, when when COVID hit, I'm, I probably over-communicated with my store owners. But my, my point was, is like, we're going to make it no matter what. And if we get shut down, we will liquidate, set on your cash. Sure. And, then, and, and that's what you got to forward think about that. And I had a guy I was working with one time who goes, how do you always stay ahead? And I said, and his name was Jody. I was like, Jody... My, our boss's name was Tim. I said, I try to think about what Tim's thinking about. And then I try to accomplish that task. Same yep. thing goes with business. Sure. You want to forward think of what's coming. Prepare for the worst. Hope for the best. Yep, that's right. And so, uh, yeah, check out uh, com. I put my philosophy on there. My clients have asked me over the week. They said, what have you prepared to do to pivot? And I was like, I done did pivoted. All right. My rates were at five fifty plus an hour. That was my discounted rate. My new rates at two ninety five an hour. I never increase ever. All right. I do fixed fees. I do monthly retainers. I'm going to pivot long before that 08 comes back. And all I'm suggesting is if you have existing business or businesses, start thinking about uh, the pivot. So enough about us, enough about Eric and Ricky. We're going to talk to somebody who actually knows what she's doing, and that's uh, Jill Reese. So Jill, um, talk about kind of uh, what you're into, your your general business from a uh, 30,000-foot level, and then we'll get into the weeds. Sure. I started buying property at Lake of the Ozarks, and uh, at first it was just for fun. I went to Lake of the Ozarks as a kid and 
mom and dad always took us there, you know, every year. And um, we had started visiting. My mom had a timeshare, and so we uh, we we started visiting once a year, and decided to go ahead and buy an Airbnb and or VRBO, what whichever one you want to mention, and uh, kind of started from there. Um, so so let's go back a little bit. So. Explain what VRBO and Airbnb are, because a lot of people who who aren't into this business, you know, they they might book their vacation condo uh, via VRBO and Airbnb, but they may not understand how it works. So, tell us how that works. So, instead of staying at a hotel, uh, vacation rental by owner or HomeAway, Expedia just recently purchased them a few years back. Um, they're a, a major site that you can get on and rent, you know, anything from a cabin to a big house or condo, um, Airbnb, uh, although not really in look at the Ozarks or not, there's, there's not many of them, you know, a room to a, you know, eight bedroom house. Uh, you can bring your friends and family of full kitchen, typically, you know, living room and kind of pick and choose, you know, where you want to stay and, and that sort of thing. So that's from a renter's perspective. Talk to us about what those are from a homeowner's perspective or a manager's perspective. From a homeowner's perspective, it could be anywhere from an investment property or, you know, you can get it just to have it pay for itself. You want to go to Lake of the Ozarks all the time and you don't want to pay for it, so you you rent it out and uh, it can make tons of money. It can make, it just depends on what property you get. You know, it could just break even, but you're able to use it all the time. You know, I have some, some clients who, you know, want to use their property in the summertime, even though that's the high, high rent, high rent times. And, you know, so it just depends on how much you want to make and what property you have. Yeah. So, so Lake of the Ozarks, and I had described it a little bit. Um, so Lake of the Ozarks from the COVID, uh, really as a response to the CNN, CNN thought they were going to destroy the Lake of the Ozarks. I'm not exactly sure why they wanted to do so, but it's CNN. So CNN tried to destroy the Lake of the Ozarks by publicizing all of the, all of the lack of restrictions that the Lake of the Ozarks had in the communities surrounding the lake. Uh, by the way, it caused the lake to go from 5.5 million unique visitors last year to 10.5 million unique visitors. So thanks, CNN, for all that free advertisement. I was at uh, Bike Fest at Lake of the Ozarks. We had 125,000 Harley-Davidson motorcycles. It will compete very quickly with Sturgis. Uh, and again, thank you, CNN, for uh, providing all that free advertisement. Uh, but um, how does VRBO and Airbnb work from an owner's perspective? How do they get paid? Well, it depends. If, if they do it on VRBO and Airbnb, they get paid by the rentals that come in. Or if you have a property manager, you know, I, for instance, I have clients who I manage their property for them. I have people that contact me that want to stay at their house. And then, um, you know, once a month, the, the money comes into our, to my account and, you know, I, I distribute their funds and, uh, that's how, that's how they get paid. So does VRBO take a percentage of the rent? Does VR, Airbnb? Yeah. VRBO works differently than Airbnb. VRBO, uh, it's, if you want a yearly subscription, it's $499. Cheap. Yep. 
Um, or if you don't want to rent your house a ton, you just want to run it a little bit, uh, you could, they take, uh, I believe it's 3%. Airbnb also, uh, it's different than VRBO. They don't have an annual subscription. They have, it's a per rental rate. So they, uh, they take a percentage. So, of they, your, so they take a cut. They, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So the 499, is that per unit? Per yes, house, like, it so is. How many houses or how many units do you own? So uh, I own four houses at Lake of the Ozarks. Yeah. And then what, what is your sweet spot like? Bedrooms, number of heads of sleep? Because I know that all values into yeah. how to buy the house. Yeah, right? it's funny because the first property that uh, I purchased was three bedroom and we thought, wow, you know, and it did really well. But then we started purchasing, you know, larger properties. So we just bought one in December that's six bedrooms and uh, it sleeps 25 people and so, you know, you get multiple families splitting, you know, that rate. And, uh, you know, for them, it becomes affordable because you get two or three families in there. And, you know, they think it's great because they're getting this enormous house. But, you know, when you split it up, it's not it's not so bad. And everybody's excited to walk in. Oh, yeah. House Very excited. Out. Like you feel like you're high rolling. It's one of the funnest things about the job is, yeah. you know, everyone's on vacation. You know, most people are they can't wait to get there. They're excited. And, you know, vacation time's fun. Yeah, so I know because <clears throat> I was there with you that <clears throat> you've had a three-bedroom, a two-bedroom, mm-hmm. uh, a condo, uh, and you just sold a four-bedroom uh, at Lake of the Ozarks. But one of the things that I found counterintuitive is that the more money you spend, the more money you can make. True. Yeah, and um, it's interesting because you know being an entrepreneur is always – about uh, assessing what sort of risk that you're willing to take, right? And so while a smaller house or a smaller condo, of course, costs less, um, therefore less risk, the fact of the matter is is that it's directly, the risk is associated with the reward, right? Always. The more risk you take, the more reward you're going to have. So give us an idea, like a six-bedroom house, uh, what can you rent that for? Uh, the six bedroom house that was purchased in December were renting for six fifty a night, um, but it depends. It depends on what kind of amenities do you have. I mean, are you? Can you see the lake? Do you have a dock? Uh, do you have a hot tub? Is it on a golf course? I mean, are you, if you're just in the trees, you know, it'll rent well. It'll be okay, but it won't rent like it is, you know, going to be on the water. Because if you're coming to the lake, you want to see the lake. Sure, absolutely. And so, um, so the six bedroom rents for six fifty. And how many nights? Uh, again, COVID has positively impacted mm-hmm. at least this location, the Lake of the Ozarks. Uh, again, thank you, CNN, because <laughs> um, it stayed normal. And by the way. For you cynics that are listening in, that are thinking, oh, yeah, I bet your uh, COVID rates were sky high. Uh, the counties around the lake had some of the lowest COVID uh, incidents uh, in the entire state of Missouri. So, wrong. Uh, so, um, again, counterintuitive. It isn't what the media or the government would have you believe. Uh, but it's the truth, um, and and that's why I think the lake, in part, is doing uh, so well. So, talk about say the five bedrooms, etc. Is there a so long as you've got a lake view, so long as you have a nice house, is there a correlation then that you can uh, derive by number of bedrooms, 
and dollars per night that you're renting it for. Yeah, I mean, again, it depends on your house, but typically it's about $100 a room. So if you have a three-bedroom house, you generally will spend around 300 bucks unless you ride a ride on the lake and you have a hot tub and you have a dock and then you can rent it for some more. Um, but again, I mean, there are some really high-end houses that you know, rent for, you know, the more executive houses or whatever that, you know, that doesn't necessarily apply. I think it just depends. But generally speaking, it's around $100 a bedroom is what you're going to rent it for. What are your growth plans for this year? Are you looking at more property to your portfolio? Yeah, we just uh, just sold a house, uh, a four-bedroom house, and uh, it did well. But um, it also had, you know, there was a ton of property around it. It was a lot to maintain. And so we just decided, you know, it though it did well, the market was doing really well at Lake of the Ozarks. It's just, it's been crazy. I mean, everyone wants a, a piece of it. It's, it's convenient. People can drive there. There's not a many, you know, there's not many people flying to the area. So uh, it's definitely somewhere that, you know, people want to come to. When, um, I'm a big fan of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki. It was the first book I read on business. Yep. Yeah. And I read the book, finished it, and the first weekend after I read it, I bought a rental property. Don't do that. <laughs> I made it work, but that's super aggressive. But he always says that if you want to buy a house, yep. you look at 100 properties, put an offer in on 10, three mm-hmm. will come back and you buy one. Do you have a formula you go by or you go you follow your gut or yeah, does it's you funny. know the market? Yeah, it's funny. The six bedroom that we just purchased, uh, my husband didn't even come and see. I uh, Generally, I, I go to a house. I want it to have certain things. And so long as it has certain things, but but I have a gut feel. Like I want my kids to be comfortable there. If I know oh. I can come and I can bring our kids and uh, – and our dog, even though he doesn't always come. But um, if we can go in and I know, okay, I can see myself cooking here, you know, the kids will be comfortable in this space, then it's a pretty good bet that, you know, other people are going to feel the same way. That, I think it's a good intuition. Yeah, good. for sure. Coming from my mother, because that's, that's who you're going after, her families and stuff Absolutely. like that. Absolutely. after the riffraff. Yeah, I want them to be comfortable wherever they are. And, uh, you know, you spend a lot of time, or at least we do, especially in 2020, we spend a lot of time in our properties you know, my husband was able to work remotely and our kids were, you know, doing basically homeschool. And, uh, you know, we uh, we spent a lot of time there and you want to make sure that you're comfortable wherever you are. And there's another example of taking a risk. You took a risk on the Airbnb mm-hmm. and now it worked out for you because you put yourself in a position to pivot. Correct. So when everybody had to work from home and homeschool, why do it in Belleville or Clayton or... yeah. Brentwood when I can do it down at the lake. Yeah, we made a lot of improvements in 2020, actually. Uh, we were pretty scared in, you know, February, March, April, people started canceling. But, boy, once Missouri opened up, you know, they were being safe. I mean, for the most part, you saw a lot of stuff in CNN, but... You know, at least the properties, you, we were taking precautions of Cloroxing things. And, you know, I think the hotels did worse than the individual properties because you could be around people as much or as little as you really wanted to be. If you just wanted to stay home and rent a boat and, you know, grill, then you were able to do that. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So I read the book, I think, in one night, and uh, I didn't get it, right? Um, he says an asset really isn't an asset. And a liability really isn't a liability. And it's like I'm scratching my head going, I don't know what the hell this guy's talking about. Uh, But um, it it really does ring true uh, in the real estate market, right? So an asset is something that can make you money. And um, 
when you acquire a piece of real estate, uh, for example, uh, I, you're right. I did not see that six bedroom that we acquired here in the last three months, but I went to closing, right? And the banker said, look, all you got to bring to closing is a pin. You got enough equity in these other properties. And he put these documents in front of us where we were borrowing another $400,000, right? And it's just, it's just numbers at this point, right? And we signed and in 10 minutes we were done. But again, I kept thinking about rich dad, poor dad. I wasn't adding $400,000 of debt. I was adding another asset that's going to produce at six fifty a night, 120 nights is my projection of what that property is going to do. Uh, that's, I think, according to my math, more than $80,000 in revenue. So if you can borrow $400,000 and make $80,000 a year, that should be okay. Um, I'm, I'm trying not to uh, you know, tell anybody anything they don't already know. That should be a no-brainer, right? You know, it's so simple, and you guys are doing it. As And I did this with Tyler growing up, is play Monopoly. That yeah. is... Real Estate 101, sure. yeah. Business 101, and then Rich Dad Poor Dad also has a game called Cash Flow, which is Monopoly on steroids. Yeah. And I think Tyler would probably 12 years old and knew how to write out a balance sheet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's financial education. So yeah. Going back to school, you know, like now you have $400,000 in debt for this degree, and you're making 80000 a year. But you're paying taxes on 45%. So yeah, you're right. upside down on your college debt. Yeah. You're not upside down on a BR, Airbnb or sure. a, 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 a yeah. real estate property or an investment property. Sure, sure. sure. You know, the uh, one of the things that when people come to you and say, well, how can I do this? Really, you need to determine, uh, Jill, what their idea is, what their goal is, right? Mm-hmm. If their goal is to simply pay for their property... That's that's one uh, business plan. That's one avenue. Mm-hmm. But your goal is to uh, ultimately make a profit, right? Not just pay for these properties. In other words, you don't you know you don't have a thirty year plan. It's like it's got to make money, and it's got to make money over its expenses now. So tell me how that analysis worked in in selling some of these properties, determining which ones had to go. You know, at the end of the year, we just kind of calculate, especially after two, you know, you, the first year is, you know, hit and miss. You know, it's just getting on the sites. You're just trying to figure it out, you know, what the sweet spot of the, you know, amount you should be renting for is, how it's, you know, how people are perceiving it. And then, you know, after a year or two, if it, you know, we bought that three bedroom and we had it probably longer than some of the other ones, but um, more probably sentimental than anything, just because it was the first one we purchased. But, you know, we bought condos, you know, we bought a two bedroom house. And, you know, once we started buying those bigger properties, they were really paying off um, to the point that, you know, when those mortgages are paid off, you know, and you can make triple, you know, triple mortgages, you know, in a year and, you know, you pay those off quickly, then, you know, when you retire, you, you're, you're, you're getting, you're getting the money that, Pure you know, cash. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you said something too, you got to think about when you're doing anything in business or real estate is you got to check your emotions. For sure. That's right. It will take you down. And I closed my very first GNC and I remember I was, my sister called me and I was driving home and I had a mm-hmm. 
U-Haul full of supplements in the back, and I just closed my, my Kirksville store. And she goes, are you upset? I'm like, yeah, I'm pissed off. I didn't close it two years ago. I was losing money. <laughs> sure. Funny. You yeah. just have to cut the emotion anytime you get into business. And it's tough, but yeah. you can you can have something sentimental later. But you, you when you get in business, you got to figure out how do I get this thing profitable ASAP. Right. Yeah, the house that we bought um, – well, it was a year and a half ago now, you know, I, we spent a lot of time there in 2020. We redid it. We, you know, we f- put flooring in it. We did all kinds of stuff to it. And uh, it was a little emotional when we sold it this year, but we also made really good money on it. And, you know, so it's a business decision. A good emotion too. Yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, we, you know, we did pretty well on that. So it was worth the time and effort. But, you know, again, 2020 was hard for everybody, you know, um, and uh, we spent a lot of time there. So. You know, it's funny that you're like, well, money doesn't make you happy. And I'm like, I have never in my life reached into a jacket that I had put away for the summer and found a yeah. $20 bill and yeah. pissed off. Yeah, yeah exactly. I found 10 bucks yeah. in the laundry today. I was very True. excited. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but as Zig Ziglar says, it goes with everything you wear. Yeah, right. It's soft. Sure. It's warm. It feels great. It does. Yeah, I think that's part of it um, is um, you need to determine when you hear that, when you hear that uh, a baseball player was let go, right, and it's a business decision, not an emotional decision, and I know people like to get caught up. It's like, well, but, you know, he belonged to the city or whatever. That's all BS in business, okay? I'm not saying you have to be a jerk, okay? I'm not saying you have to be unfeeling, but you have to understand that if you're in a business uh, and your properties or your investments, whether they be employees or houses in Jill's case, are not fitting the business plan, then you're doing yourself and your business a disservice by somehow getting hooked up on those things and deciding that, well, I really like this one. Because what you can do in Jill's business is once you sell that one, you're freeing up your ability to borrow on another one. And in Jill's business, you cannot be, uh, you know, debt adverse. Uh, buying real estate means you're going to owe a lot of money uh, to a lot of people. But uh, but if you do it right, um, it can be a, a pretty amazing payoff for sure. And, and the other nice thing is real estate doesn't generally lose its value. I understand that, you know, we may have some periods where, uh, real estate is going to be undervalued, but you know the stock market's going to be a crazy ride. That's a roller coaster. Uh, but real estate, they cannot make more of real estate. Take a look of the picture of the Earth, and you will see that other than in Key West, where it adds like uh, a foot every year, uh, <laughs> they're not making more real estate. Uh, anywhere else and so therefore it, it really cannot be less valuable at any point in time if it's if it's losing value it's because you're not maintaining the property yeah you guys know that sure. that's, that's the key to it so yeah. i think i mean when i was doing rental properties yeah and and that's the other thing that i found interesting at least with respect to vrbos let's just call them vrbos because that's what most people uh know it as or refer to it as is that um a house unused sitting abandoned will deteriorate much more quickly than a house used and so you know some people will ask well gee whiz aren't you weirded out by the fact that other people are in 
your house. But the fact of the matter, Jill, is that those houses are actually preserved better by people being in them. Yeah, in the off season, because, you know, we have an off season, even though it's, you know, the on season is really extending. I mean, it used to really be Memorial Day, Labor Day. And now, you know, especially with COVID, you know, I've had rentals, you know, starting in March. I mean, we we really haven't had too much of an off season. But yeah, no, I agree with that. Well, and going back to the house, what is, if you don't live in a house, the house will die. Sure. It will. Yeah. I, I, we've offered, you know, friends and family, just pay the cleaning fee and, you know, go stay in there because, you know, running the water and just having somebody in there is, is beneficial. Not in the summer, folks. So don't get any ideas. Right? <laughs> but the lake, the lake is beautiful in the middle of the winter when, when nobody's there for sure. Yeah, it's quiet. Um, so the other thing that I found counterintuitive about your business, Jill, is, um, you know, we were down at uh, Captiva, a place that we love, for example. And we were down at, uh, I think we were in Kitty Hawk, right? Mm-hmm. And the prices for these properties were outrageous on Captiva, maybe a $2 million buy-in. And uh, we took a look at some of those deals, and they said, uh, well, understand, it's going to cost you $2 million, but we will guarantee you rentals. We're going to guarantee you income for the next 10 years. And the guaranteed rental revenue off of a $2 million property was $36,000 which in Captiva barely pays your real estate taxes. Um, in uh, North Carolina, uh, Kitty Hawk, I think we looked at a two-bedroom condo for $650,000, and we took a look at the rent roll, and again, it was in the low 30s that I think it produced. Mm-hmm. And so these are uh, destinations that you would consider, oh my gosh, they must make a ton of money here. The fact of the matter is, is that to analyze any investment, you have to analyze how much is it going to cost and how much is it going to return. And and what we found is that the areas that people think about immediately, oh, let's go to Tampa Bay, let's go to Orlando. While we love those areas, the fact of the matter is you might be shocked at uh, the fact that the investment there is not nearly as good as places that seem much more pedestrian, like the Lake of the Ozarks. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, um, so ultimately, look, uh, if you are interested in taking a look at these properties, if you're interested in VRBO or Airbnb, we're big fans of it. Uh, we've benefited individually from it. Uh, Jill, your website, uh, your URL is what? www.lozvacations.com lozvacations.com so listen we're talking about the lake of the ozarks so we got to talk about uh some of the crazy stories that's <laughs> that's happened there uh if if you could tell us a, a couple of the nutso stories that um sometimes this is why you hire a manager like jill to to deal with what are some of the wackiest things that have happened down at the lake? Uh, we purchased a condo, uh, and I won't say where, but uh, we purchased a condo on our first rental. I was kind of new to management a little bit, and uh, we had a bachelorette party come in, and I thought, oh, it's a bunch of girls, you know. Harm. What harm could they what do? What harm could it be? And uh, they came in, and they uh, they dyed their hair in the sink and stained the white sink uh, red. Uh, they uh, crapped in the hand towels. Literally took a dump in yeah, the hand the, towels. The, <laughs> the, uh, 
the house. Why not? Classy, right? Classy. Brand new towels and yeah. uh, you know all new linens and uh, yeah they uh, they made quite a quite a mess of yeah, the of the place. VRBO <laughs> review. Wouldn't think so. Thank you. Your condo's lovely. I shit in your hand towel. For sure. Yep. <laughs> she uh, she called me and she asked me if uh, she should wash that. <laughs> no, no. Just, just pitch yeah, anything sure. you find like that. I don't want to keep it. It's funny. I've never taken a dump in a hand towel, but I think if I did, I'd probably throw uh-huh. it away so the owner wouldn't know that I took a dump in a hand towel. Yeah. I'll take my chances that they yeah. won't count the An- Another counterintuitive uh, thing that you found out, right, uh, from those experiences uh, you know, you've kind of uh, helped you figure out how to vet renters. For right? sure. I mean, it's important that you vet renters. I mean, you can have just any schmo come and want to rent your property, but, you know, you really have to talk to them and figure out, you know, who do you want in there? Uh, you know, bachelorette parties, they like to stay in and drink a lot, and bachelors go out, and I quite frankly, I'm, I'm done taking both of them. I've had handrails ripped off. You wouldn't believe some of you wouldn't believe some of the stuff that we've found uh, doors ripped in half. I mean, it's really chandeliers that have been hung from um, refrigerators but, thrown in the trash can. Yeah, refrigerators. Yeah, it's it's really been uh, eye opening to see how some people just are disrespectful. Unfortunately, so you have to spend a lot of time talking to people. Are you coming with a family? What you know? What's your story? Why are you coming? Uh, be respectful of them, you know, of course, but, you know, also try to figure out what their story is and why they're coming and who they're coming with. Because, you know, your friend may be really fun, but, uh, you know, and you may take responsibility, but you don't know what they're going to be like when they start getting drunk and you can't control a grown man that's peed on someone's couch. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I know from... from or a grown woman who's shitting your towel. Yeah, or a right. grown woman. I mean, it just, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, um... So talk uh, briefly about the importance of managing maids and managing handymen. I think these are probably your two most important vendors in owning a VRBO for, wherever you are. Yeah, for sure. Your, your handyman and your maid are your best friends. I talk to my handyman often, um, you know, not that it just depends, it, you know, what, what they need to have done. An air conditioner spray broke, you know, it's good, important to have a handyman that can fix a, a chair to a roof. You know, it's. And I have a handful of people that, that can do those sorts of things. My housekeepers, too. I've, you know, it's been through lots of housekeepers. Um, they're not created equal. Uh, and I don't think it's just like the Ozarks. I think that's just generally anywhere we have found that, you know, be to be closer to where we live as well. Um, so it just, you know, but it's important to keep in contact with them. You need to give them schedules. People come last minute, you know, you're talking to them. They need to be your eyes and ears because I can't be at every property at every time they rent. Um, it's just, that's impossible. Like, you know, it's, there's too many of them and uh, there's too many rentals. And uh, so having the housekeeper there to kind of tell you if something's broken, if something is missing, you know, it's important that, you know, you keep in contact, close contact with those people and that you trust them. Well, yeah. and that goes back. You have to delegate to elevate. There's yeah, no, there's for sure. no way you can manage all that without you know your, your like you said your handyman and your your housekeeper. Yeah, I have a runner that you know does stuff for me as well. That you know she can check in and and do stuff as well. But um, yeah, it's important. It's important that you find a good team to work with. Always. Yeah. Yeah, and the hand, and the handyman isn't just uh, the handyman that'll go out uh, on a Saturday afternoon when no one's there and fix whatever's broken. You're talking about a handyman that's got to do the two a.m. call because when someone's on vacation sure. and they're paying six hundred fifty dollars a night and the air conditioner goes out, 
you can't wait. You can't tell them, well, my handyman will be there tomorrow at 4 o'clock. Your handyman's got to show up and fix the air conditioner now. When something starts leaking, they can't wait till the next day. They've got to show up now. And so, uh, you know, it, it is important, as you say, to have a, of a, a great team to manage these things. It is, but I think it is um, your preventative maintenance, though, staying ahead of that stuff. Oh, like for you were sure. talking about prevents yeah. less times your handyman's called at 2 a.m. probably. Sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, it's that's one of the nice things of having a property manager. I get called at, you know, the middle of the night, you know. They're, they're locked out or, you know, there's a problem or... You know, whatever, whatever the whatever the issue is, you know, if it's your own house, you know, you're getting those phone calls. But if there's your, you have a property manager, you know, you're not having to worry so much about those phone calls and you just know that they're being handled. So, yeah. So uh, Joe, Joe won't say it because uh, she she's always uh, uh, guarding uh, various individuals who work for her. But uh, I know that Jill personally, I know that Jill has had maids not show up because they've run off and joined the circus. And if you think I'm making that up, I'm not exaggerating at all. They've literally run off and joined the circus. Uh, I know that we've had vendors down there to move docks. And <laughs> instead of moving docks, we've pulled up to the house and we see that their pickup truck is covered with Tarps. canvas. And uh, mm -hmm. they've got uh, wires running out of their pickup into the house and they're physically living on the property and i don't know if this is like the ozarks it probably is if anyone's been to the ozarks uh that shouldn't surprise you but uh but nothing surprises you in this business for sure yeah you have to have a thick skin for sure yeah <laughs> always right. yeah right yeah, yeah you I, can't be super yeah. sensitive because they're gonna make you cry yeah and it's funny you say that because um I have a rhino in all of my stores and a rhino on my desk because in business you have to have a thick skin and sometimes be a little oh, yeah. blind yeah, and, right. just, For and sure. put your head down and grind. Right, exactly. So, yeah, I've been exactly. called, called a lot of names yeah. Yeah. Oh, sure. over the last yeah. few yeah. years. Yeah. yeah. All right. So uh, thanks, Jill, for telling us all about VRBO and, uh, and Airbnb. Ricky, uh, remind people of our next guest. Our next guest is Tim Burt. Tim Burt. Oh, I don't have the notes in front of me, but I know he's generated over $500 million in revenue from marketing. He's been on uh, ESPN, CBS. I think he's done, I don't know how many ads, but um, just a marketing genius. Um, straightforward, a lot like us. And Good. Yeah, mm -hmm. he's, he's going to be exciting to have on. Yeah, so if you all want to learn about uh, how to better market, how to better sell, then uh, I encourage you to tune in to our next episode. Absolutely. Okay, great. Thanks, guys. Thanks. <laughs>